name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, one God, Amen. I want you to imagine a great king in a great palace and the king has his family and to his family he gives everything. And he says to them, I want you to remain with me forever in this palace, in this house of ours. And everything that I have is yours. There's nothing that I withhold from you. And this family, because we're talking about God, obviously, they're not by nature God. So if you can picture this family, it's almost like a light bulb where he says, when you're plugged into me, you can be a light. You can't light on your own, right? But plugged into me, you can be all light, even as I am light. And when plugged into me, you live forever. When plugged into me, you have health. And the family had the choice, right? They had the choice of whether they wanted to be plugged in or not. They had the option of whether they wanted to live forever or not. They had the option of health or not, and as we already discussed throughout this week, we know what the choice was. We chose, we chose to leave the Father's house, and it's really important that we understand that, because we often frame the story like we were kicked out of the house. When the real choice was ours, the real choice was that we said, we don't want to remain in you. He said, if you want to be in this house, this house is light, I can't help it, <laughs> right? This house is, is, is light, this house is life by virtue of who I am. So you can choose to walk out if you like. And we chose to walk out. And we chose the hard way. And as we've discussed also at the week, I'm not gonna repeat all of it. We chose that way of suffering. We chose the way of death, man preferred death rather than life. But when he came out of this palace, if you can picture the, the world, the whole kingdom was there, we came out and we wanted to create a new world, a fake world, right? We preferred a lie. And in the beginning we had remembrance of our father, the early, the early people remembered what life was like in the palace, the rest didn't. And as time went by, this palace became just a symbol, became like a museum in the distance, right? Where there's stories about it and the stories turned into legends and people had no idea what was really going on in that house. And most people started building new palaces and said, this is the real story, here are other gods, right? These were the pagans, right? And there were those who had a memory of the king Right, that talked about the king, that told their kids about the king, but over time, the way that they spoke and what they said diminished. And as we saw in the story of Abraham, eventually the king made a deal with one of them because the Lord, the king, he wasn't silent from the house. He still spoke. He still spoke. It was just few people were willing to listen. And he made a pact with this people and told them, I'm going to help you out in this world that you created. There can't be 
death in this house of life. I'm going to solve that. They didn't understand that part. I'm going to solve the death issue. right? I'm going to solve the sin issue. But I'm also going to try and help you live in your circumstances so that when you return to me, when you are reconciled with me, you know how to live. Right? That you can, when you're restored to this gift, you know how to use it, you know how to be it. And the king sent messengers, as the Lord told us in his parables. The father sent messengers even to the people who claimed to want to be with the king, and they killed them. Right? Which of the prophets wasn't killed? Which of the prophets wasn't abused? Anybody who said, hey, this isn't right? was killed. But they didn't understand, even though he had given them these prophecies that there's a Messiah coming, there's an anointed one, there's one chosen who's going to save you. They didn't actually understand that it was the Father's Son. They didn't know. And what the King was going to do in sending his Son was completely undo their existence in a way that they didn't understand. He said, you know, I gave you a gift to be me. I made humans in the image and likeness of God. I made humans to be as God. But they didn't know how to do it. So I, I'll be the godly human. I'll be the God who becomes man and shows you how to do what it is that you're meant to be. I'll show you. But in doing this, this rescue mission of our God, is that he, he was going to really be man. And so you can think of this, this king who's sending his son. His son enters the, the kingdom, outside the kingdom. He leaves the kingdom and enters into the world of men. But he's dressed like a commoner. People looking at him don't know that he is the son of the king because he's not dressed in the clothes of royalty. right? He's not wearing his garb. He's not riding on a chariot. He's not holding a scepter. He's not holding a staff. right? He looks just like everybody. And when he looks like everybody, he's treated just like everybody. Right? He has to follow the traffic laws, he has to talk the way the people do, he has to speak their language, he has to use their currency. He actually subjects himself fully to live even as they were living. And that's the world that our Lord has entered in. Right? That's the, the world that he's in, where for all intents and purposes, he looks to the people as a human, but he's not just any human. He's the Lord of hosts, right? And this human, if he wanted to, if he wanted to, he could at any point cast off the clothing and say, by the way, I'm the king, and everybody would bow down, everybody would worship, and he could get out of any hardship or any trouble that he wanted, but he didn't, because he was actively choosing to save us. He wanted to give us what is His. He wanted to take this issue of death, this thing that we were obsessed with, the thing that we chose over the kingdom, 
and make a mockery of it on our behalf. And as we said last night, the words from St. John, he came unto his own and his own received him not. This is what we're coming face to face with today. Everybody, everybody rejected him. Nobody understood who he was. His fleshly family denied him, right, with the exception of, of St. Mary, right? There's important things that we see in the Gospel of John where when he's about to go to Jerusalem, his relatives in the flesh, again, this covert mission, they have no idea who he is, they mock him. They're saying, you know what, maybe you should go to Jerusalem and let everybody see you. And, and that sounds like a nice thing to say, but it explicitly says, but they didn't say this nicely. They said it because they didn't believe in him. Right? They said, being like, yeah, yeah, I'm going Right? Let's see what they think about you. Because you're just some guy. We know you. We grew up with you. They had no idea. At one point when he was visiting his hometown, they wanted to throw him off a cliff. Right? That was, that was their reaction to him. And the people and the commoners, they enjoyed the miracles for a day. They sang Hosanna on Sunday. And as we see today, they've turned into a mob, crying out, crucify him. They liked the show and the free food. The apostles, likewise, they didn't get it. Right? The majority of them today are not with him at all. Only one of them actually is, is standing with him. Peter denied, the disciples hide, one of them flees naked because he's scared of being arrested. And then his people, the Pharisees, the priests, the leaders of the people, these were the people who allegedly, allegedly were speaking in the name of his father. These are the ones who should have been the most qualified, the ones who should have recognized him, the ones who are most familiar with the prophecies, with the scripture. They don't recognize the day of their visitation and they move the people to cry out to have him killed. The Lord has been on trial from the beginning of his ministry. In the Gospel of John, from the day that he healed the man by the pool and told him to rise and take up his bed and walk, his trial for them began that day. How dare you break our laws? Right? You broke the law of the Sabbath day, that's a capital offense. And you called yourself God, that's a capital offense. There's going to be no solution for us other than to have you killed. And they follow him around and they're everywhere he goes and everywhere he speaks. They're continuing this trial that culminates in the trial that we saw today. Where God is on trial by all of his people. He's on trial by all of them and found guilty by all of them, as we talked about last night. Because the Jews were his kids, the Gentiles were his kids, right? But both the Jew and the Gentile, the pagan and the so-called believer, all of them, all of them found him guilty. We spoke yesterday about what happened when the Jews went into exile, but I left out on purpose one important thing that happened. 
In the Holy of the Holies, in the Temple of the Jews, was the Ark of the Covenant. And on either side of the Ark of the Covenant were images of two great angels. And that place in the Holy of Holies was called the Dubar, which is a Jewish, it's an Aramaic Hebrew word for speaking logic. It's a place where God speaks. In Greek, you probably know the word Logos. The Holy of Holies was the place where the Logos spake, the place from which God spoke to his people. But when they had been taken into captivity, the ark disappears. If you read Jewish tradition, they don't know where the ark went from their captivity. And the Lord, who is the real Logos, the Logos who took on flesh, the mind of the Father, was finally speaking to the people, saying, God does speak again. God speaks through his own word, which is myself. I am the Logos. The word became flesh. The Logos became flesh and tabernacled with us. That he could reveal to them the Father. That he could reconcile them again to the Father. Saying, Dad, who you rejected, has never rejected you. Dad, who built this palace for you, desires you to be in it. You chose enmity with God, but I, the true, the natural son, I'll reconcile you to him. I'm going to stand in front of you and present you before the Father. I will fulfill all righteousness in my flesh. I will take on sin in the flesh so that you can enter into your own house again. And that's what the real trial was about that doesn't really get said. The real trial was a trial of the Jews asking him, who are you? Who are you? As much as they wanted to be able to answer that question, they knew they did not have the answer and they were afraid of the true answer. And that's what this was really about, who are you? And by the end of this trial, they realized that he is actually claiming God as his father, making himself equal to God. And for that reason, they really, really want him dead. And the Lord hasn't been, in the Gospel of John, he hasn't been quiet about that. His I am statements are numerous in the Gospel of John. He constantly uses the name of God as his own. And he says things like, whoever has seen me has seen the Father. I tell you what I hear because I am, as St. John said at the beginning of the Gospel, in the bosom of my Father. And I give you what I hear from him because I'm intimately in the Father, right? The Father is spirit, there's no bosom, there's no physical bosom in the Father. He's saying, I am that in the Father, I am in the Father and the Father in me, and he who sees me has seen the Father, and the words that I speak are the Father's words, and everything that I do is what the Father has told me, and all that I have done is because the Father has commanded it thus, I will fulfill all obedience in the flesh. But the people don't get it. 
They see the man in normal clothes. They hear his accent, right? He speaks like a Galilean. Doesn't sound like someone from heaven. He sounds like a Galilean, right? They can't see past his lineage. Is he not the son of Joseph whom we know? They can't see past his mortality because he's dressed, dressed in their clothes, the clothes of death, the clothes that man chose rather than life. But this is the new Adam coming to restore. The Adam who was in paradise and chose against, as we said last night, is now the Adam who's choosing life. And the people, as we've read throughout the scriptures today, scream, crucify him. And the irony, the irony of, of the accusations today is that they came to Pilate saying, he's an insurrectionist. He will lead the people to rebellion. We have no king but Caesar. That was the, the, what they said to the Romans to get him killed. Among themselves, the accusation was how dearly he called himself the son of the father. And who did they choose to release? Barabbas, which means son of the father. And who was actually guilty of revolution. But anybody who had been following the words of the Lord especially in the Gospel of John, will say that the hour of glory in the Gospel of John is not the resurrection. The hour of glory in the Gospel of John is the crucifixion. Because it's the moment where he's going to foil all of it, where the love of God will be made manifest. Unless a grain of wheat, a corn of wheat, fall into the ground and die, it abides alone. But if I die, I bring forth much fruit. The hour of glory here is the death, not the resurrection. And the real question left to all of us as we gaze upon this image on the cross, is if you want to understand this metaphor, this, this allegory that this, the son of the king has took on the flesh of man, then what has happened in, in modern world, if this were to happen in the 21st century, is that everybody would be putting this man on trial who's making a claim that he's from God, who's making a claim that he is God. And we find him guilty in church. We excommunicate him as a synod. We mock him as a synod. And we send him to the secular courts, looking for anything that can get him in trouble. And then the secular courts condemn him to death by electric chair or lethal injection. Who in their right mind, if the church and the state has condemned somebody to death, would view that person as God? It's a rare thing for the world and the church to be in agreement. Most people would be like, wow, for once the two agree. And can you imagine holding up an icon of a man on an electric chair? 
as a symbol of glory. That's what we're doing. It's been lost to us over the centuries, the shame that is crucifixion. But it's a shame. It was the most despicable, humiliating kind of death available. It's why Romans would not permit their own citizens to be having it. Forgive me for those who are here on Saturday night that already heard this, but crucifixion as a path of shame, they'd make these people carry their crosses, put them up on the cross. Often they would kill the person's family in front of them because they can't do anything about it. Right? They would mock them. Sometimes they would take spears and put it up from the person's behind. Forgive me for how graphic I'm being. So hard that it would come out of the other side. This isn't clean. These pictures that we have are very clean. Right? It's, it's gruesome. And this is to what extent that the Father emptied himself. He who found his equality with God not a thing to be exploited, but instead emptied himself and took the form of the servant. Emptied himself so much so that as St. Athanasius said, he made sure he didn't even choose the manner of his death. He said, no, I will show through weakness what is greater than might. I will, I will let you choose so that you don't say, I chose because I couldn't handle something in particular. You choose. Do, do what you've got to me. And this is why it's a big deal when St. Paul says, God forbid that I, that I boast, except in the cross. Saying, I'm, I'm proud of the man on the electric chair. To you, it's foolishness. For you, it's complete and utter ridiculousness. To you, it's ludicrous and insane and dumb and stupid. But for us, it is glory. Because we know, we know who it is on the cross. And our Lord reveals himself to us on the cross. Yesterday, when we were talking about how the Psalms didn't have numbers, if you don't know that simple tradition, what our Lord said could easily be lost on you. When he says, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? If the Jews had paid attention to the cue and started reciting the psalm, he was telling them quite plainly who he was. This is the psalm that says, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? They that see me laugh me to scorn. They shoot at the lip, they shake their heads saying, he trusted on the Lord that he would deliver him. We just read this half an hour ago. Them saying these very words, they would, have, they would have understood the prophecy about them if they had looked up. Let him deliver him, seeing he delighted him. For there is none to help me, many bulls have compassed me. They gaped upon me with their mouths as a ravening and a roaring lion. I'm poured out like water, and all of my bones are out of joint. They dislocate his shoulders when they stretch him out on the cross. My heart is like wax. The assembly of the wicked have enclosed on me. They pierced my hands and my feet. They parted my garments among them. They cast lots upon my vesture. All of this is in Psalm 
22. If they had said the words of the song, they probably would have screamed, take him down, take him down. But they didn't know the day of their visitation, that the day of the Lord had come upon them. And so nature, nature itself protested. Right? The, the earth shook, literally. The sun was darkened. And the darkness that was the temple was revealed. Because when the veil of the temple was rent in twain, rent in two, the poverty of the temple was exposed. The Dubar wasn't there. The Dubar had long left them. Right? And the, the true darkness was manifested that was the temple. We're going to see the same scene tomorrow when the woman enters into the tomb and sees two angels and a concrete slab. Because she'll be looking, she's still looking for death, but it's not in the tomb. Because the living Dubar is the Lord Christ. It's not a rock, it's not an object. It's the living Christ. And the Lord had warned, the Lord had said, when I am lifted up, then you will know that I am He. And this is what the church is declaring today is saying, we recognize you. We who gaze on you on the cross, we, we get it. We believe you. We know who you are. And we cry out in agreement. He said, when you, when you see the knee lifted up, then you'll know I am he. And we sing the hymn, this is he. Fa'etaf inf. We, we say, no, that, that, is, that is he. This is he who offered himself voluntarily as the acceptable sacrifice on the cross. He's coming in and taking the death that we chose and making a mockery of it. Right? They don't see it yet. We're in the moment right now of, of grief. We're going to see what he does to death. And we, in recognizing who you are while on, fastened on that cross, we bow down and worship to you. We cry out and say, Holy immortal, who in weakness has shown forth what is greater than might. We recognize you. We recognize that this show of weakness is the greatest display of might because you chose it. I have power to lay down my life and I have power to raise it up again, he said so that we'd understand that He chose it. I didn't have to do it. I chose you. I love you. The Lord in this rescue mission is saying, you've loved this death, you've loved mortality, you love the things that die, and you made it your master. And who has power over death? Your enemy. He's using death to make you slaves. So I will enter into your death 
and the feast that we will be celebrating tonight, I will descend into the lowest hell, and I will bind the strong man. I will bind the one who, who uses death to cower over you, so that I can bring you back into your own home again. He has allowed you to have him and to be in him, to abide in him and in the Father. This is the great work that was done. Our Lord said he would destroy the temple and raise it up in three days, and he did. He is the living temple, he is the living Dubar. But if you get it, then you have to ask, he came unto his own and his own received him not. To them he gave the power to become the sons of God. That is the invitation that he's giving to us through the cross. And if you get it, and if you receive the invitation, the invitation that he invites us on is the walk of shame that he walked. The invitation is that if you would be his disciple, if you know what that means, is to see the one who hangs on the tree as God and to believe. And if you believe, you become his son. And that sonship means walking with him, walking in shame and walking in glory. It means to turn the other cheek because you choose it. It means not to return evil for evil because Lord knows he could have done anything to those people who were killing him and he chose not to. It means to pray for forgiveness for those who despise you or abuse you even as they were killing him, and he says, Lord, forgive them. My father, forgive them. They don't understand. Forgive them. Forgive them. Even as they jeered at him, mocked him, rent his clothes, even when beside him are two criminals, one of them mocking, and he said, they just don't get it. It's okay. Forgive them. It means striving for the higher things, striving to see for the glory of perfection rather to be blinded by the externals of what you think is weakness. The glory of God is his love. It's his identity. It's his self-emptying. It's his breaking himself literally on our behalf to elevate us to who we are not by nature. He took all that is ours and gave us all that is his. What does it look like for a disciple of the Lord to be part of this world, to be dead to the world? The world is full of lies and betrayal and money and politics and buildings and money and advantage and, and all of these things. But we die to these things to really live, to enter into the home of our Father. Christ is our high priest. Christ is the one who is the scapegoat. Christ is the lamb. Christ is the priest who is offering himself. Today, we have been passed over. Today is the Passover of the new covenant. And as he told the Jews in the old, we do ourselves, and there's a reason why we keep celebrating it over and over and why we do everything in remembrance of him. Write it on your signposts, on your doors and in your houses that we were supposed to die, but we didn't. Because the lamb did it 
for us so that we might live. Can you see him? The timeless who entered time, the incorporeal who took on body, the limitless who took on limit. He beckons us all to have life and more abundantly. May we recognize who he is and boast in him and worship at his feet the King of glory, who though he came in the clothes of men and didn't come in with the scepter, reigns from the wood of the cross. His throne is forever, his scepter is righteousness. To him we bow down, now and always, into the age of all ages. Amen.